I played indoor cricket this week and I have truly demonstrated I'm getting old. Um, it wasn't until the next day when I was hanging out at the washing that I and I've strained some ligament. Uh, so it's been quite interesting the last couple of days. And uh, for those of you who are old enough uh, to get your fourth jab, congratulations, I did that this week. And all four of us that got our jabs this week, all four of us felt sick after for three days. Let me pray with you this morning. I want to I share with you about three incredible periods of time. And we actually look at three stories, but there's actually four characters in our story. And they are what I call giants of Christ, or for Christ. These people are incredible human beings who, in their faith, they were actually allowed to be incredibly stretched. And uh, in our comfortable Western world, there are times we don't want anyone to get anywhere near us. Don't stretch me, leave me how I am. But I want to challenge you today, not through me, but actually through the characters of these three stories. You will pick up some incredible, incredible stretching if you allow yourself to be stretched by God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, today, it's great to be here worshipping you. We know there's heaps of stuff on today, and we know that a lot of our members are actually crook uh, with the flu and, and uh, other things, and we, we, we pray for them that aren't here today. We, we're glad to be here worshipping you, and uh, we're glad to open our Bibles, open our phones, and um, just connect in with you. Please be with the words that I use today. They're not mine, but they're yours, Lord. Amen. A giant for Christ. When I actually first thought of this, I didn't picture a particular being. You know, some people would want to say, hey, you know, when David took on Goliath, he took on a giant, and he was only a little guy. Uh, back in those days, we think that Goliath was probably about 10 feet tall, or close to it, close to three metres tall. Uh, they reckon he was about 180 kilos, um, and just... Just the, the steel on the end of his spear weighed about 20 kilos. That was a pretty, pretty impressive sort of guy. He was a big man. But he was a wuss, a wimp, a weakling compared to David. A journey, um, initially, almost going the wrong way. I'm going to actually start with a story that happened very close to Australia. Then we're actually going to delve into the New Testament and actually have a look at a guy called Stephen. Um, there's only two chapters in all of Scripture that actually talk about Stephen. And I'd like us just to have a look at the incredible man that Stephen was. And then to finish with, we're going to move forward about 1,500 years and we're going to have a look at a period of time called the Dark Ages. And in that Dark Ages, there are two characters. And when I first became a Christian, I read about these two guys and I've always thought to myself, these guys are heroes of the faith. And they're two guys called Jerome and Huss. But uh, let's begin. I want to actually read three Bible verses with you this morning. So if you've got your phone or your Bible, grab it. If not, of course, they're going to be on the screen. But if you've got your Bible or phone, sometimes it's good because it's, it's... So Clayton, the first one is found in Job. Job chapter 26 and verse 14. So Job 26, 14. We know that Job had been through an incredible journey. Probably, if you want to talk about life being tough, uh, he had tough with a capital T. It was, it was hor horrific what he went through. But in Job 26, 14, we pick up, it says, these are just the beginning of all 
Who then can comprehend the thunder and the power? Job is reflecting on the incredible power of God. When I read this passage, these are just the beginning of all that he does, merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? There is something incredibly powerful about our God. Job knew it, and Job expressed it clearly in Job 26. We go to 2 Corinthians. It's a bit weird. I know we're just looking at three power verses to start with, but in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4, let me tell you, Paul is speaking, and Paul is talking to a church in Corinth, and the Corinthians were renowned in their community as being worse than the community. Sadly, the Christians were, in, were indulging in all of the pleasures of the flesh. Uh, you name it, they were doing it. And the community looked at the Christian church and said, you guys are worse than us. And we're pagan and secular. And, and here's Paul, and he says this, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Paul is reflecting on the incredible power of Jesus and the way that he can transform us. We bounce back to the Old Testament in Isaiah. Now, I'm actually not going to be using these verses in the sermon, but I just wanted to share some scripture with you about this idea. If you are going to be a giant for Christ and be stretched, some of these power verses can definitely help us. Isaiah 40, and Isaiah is often reflected to as the Old Testament gospel. When you actually read through it, you almost get the picture you're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But uh, let's pick it up. So Isaiah 40, it's just three verses, 28 to 34 verses. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding, him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Is that a good verse or what? When I read through it, it's, it's very poetic, to be honest. It's very easy to read. But when I read through it, I think to myself, Isaiah the prophet understood the incredible things a human being could do when you are connected uh, to God, when you are connected to God. This coming Tuesday, we lay to rest um, a giant of Jesus, a giant of Christ, and that's Pastor Mel. Now, I know he had his faults, um, but today I was reflecting on well, not today, but during the week, I was reflecting about Pastor Mel. We as chaplains and um, campus pastors and councillors, we all met. Everyone from South Queensland who's a chaplain, etc. we all went in uh, to the conference office, and it was really good. Murray Hunter and Richie came up, and we just spent time, I guess, grieving and also speaking into the life of Mel. Um, because obviously this next Tuesday is going to be tough, and people who are chaplains and councillors, pastors, they actually have to somehow forget sometimes which hat they're wearing and they've got to be uh, caring and yet grieving and shattered as well. And I was reflecting on a story that Mel told me. And he, I, I was asking him about his family. 
And if you want to get to know someone, don't ask, don't talk about yourself, ask them about them. And I asked Mel, I said, tell me about your family, Mel. I've heard that they were missionaries and I'm interested. The first story I want to share about is Pastor Mel Lemke's dad. He also was a minister, but a missionary. He left the comfort of Australia in the early, after World War I, and in that period of the, the late 10s and 20s, and, and the early 30s, and he went to Papua New Guinea. He took his wife, and they had two young children. And Pastor Lemke believed that God was with him, God would go before him, and God was there with him. It's just incredible, sort of, the way that Pastor Mel was telling me the story of his dad. He said there was an occasion where Pastor Lemke had already converted, shared Jesus with some of the people in Papua New Guinea, some of the nationals. And, uh, and he said to them, guys, I want to go on a mission trip, and it was actually through the Kokoda area, and uh, there's, there's some areas in there, most of the areas at that point were completely untouched for Jesus. And Pastor Lemke said, look, I know that there's some villages we haven't met yet. Um, can you guys help me? Show me where to go. And they came to this area and they met some villagers and shared Jesus. And they came to an area where uh, the nationals said, uh, Pastor Lemke, we don't go up there. Uh, it's not safe. The people up there are not nice people. The people up there are into spiritualism. They cut themselves. Satan is their God. If, if you think of it in Christian terms, that would be the way to think about it. Um, they still eat human beings. Um, it's not safe to go up there. And Pastor Lemke thought to himself for a moment, what would Jesus do? You know, he reflected on Jesus when he went to the demon-possessed man. Dangerous. And yet Jesus hops out of the boat, just walks straight up, and uh, through the power of his Father, the power of God, God went before him, God was with him, and God did incredible things. So Pastor Lemke thought, we have to go. <laughs> These guys are like, I don't know if I want to go. This is a seriously dangerous area to go. No one goes up there. Um, these, these people, part of their rationale in Papua New Guinea was that the reason they would actually eat human beings is because they felt they actually got the strength and a lot of the history and all the good things that came out of that human being would then be eaten and they would actually be part of that. And that was part of their philosophy. They'd never seen white people. So Pastor Lemke went, let's go. God will go before us and God is with us. So they went. And they arrived near the village and some of the warriors didn't have much on. Had all their spears and arrows and their, and their, their <laughs> I'm trying to think what they are. I can see the picture. It's like, a, it's like an axe with a big long piece of timber on it. And uh, so they, they went in there and they sort of surrounded them and the nationals were able to speak to this tribe. There's so many dialects in New Guinea. They were able to communicate in some way, and then they were brought before the chief. And the chief was intrigued, and all of these people, their eyes just lit up because they'd never, ever seen a white person before. Pastor Lemke was the only white person in the group. And they told them to go to a hut, and they went into the hut, and then they guarded the hut. And uh, during the evening, Pastor Umel was telling me about his dad, they were terrified, but they were terrified in, in what was happening outside, but they knew God would protect them. And you think to yourself, like, 
We talk about a comfortable faith. A comfortable faith never gets stretched. But here's Mel almost, it almost, Mel's dad, almost like suicidal almost to some degree, and yet he believed the message of Jesus had to be shared with those people. And it was his job to go. Um, during that evening, um, there was a big fire in the, middle of, in the middle of the village. People were dancing, cutting themselves, yelling out really weird stuff, clashing, banging, there was all, fighting. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And during that night, the nationals prayed like there was no tomorrow. And Pastor Lemke prayed for protection for them and the group. And after very early hours of the morning, it became quiet, and it was like everyone went to bed. In the morning, Pastor Lemke and the group opened their hut, and they walked outside. They don't really have doors, but they walked out of the hut and came outside, and the chief was sort of waking up, and the people were waking up, and then they all sat back and down. And Pastor Lemke walked out, and he began to chief. And the village chief said, who are you? And he said, well, we're missionaries. We have come to share the good news of Jesus with you. Well, they didn't know what Jesus was. You know, you can imagine. But they were interested in whatever this preacher wanted to share because during that evening, the chief shared with them that they wanted, actually had the pot boiling. They actually wanted to see what it was like. These are Mel's words, not mine. They wanted to see if white man tasted different um, to a dark guy. And they said, during the evening, we wanted to come and take you. But there were these big, giant soldier warriors standing all around your hut. They were terrifying. They made us scared. We went to bed. Now... Pastor Lemke had an incredible opportunity to then share Jesus. Wouldn't you want to know about Jesus? They had actually encountered what it was because they were very involved in their satanic religion. And all of a sudden, they were confronted with the other option, God. And God is powerful. God is a giant. And it takes human beings like Pastor Mel's dad to actually be stretched in their faith enough to also be a giant for Christ. Mel came out, sorry, Mel's dad came out and he, he shared about Jesus and they spent time with that village. That village today is completely 100% Seventh-day Adventist and have been for the last 100 years because someone was willing to be stretched in their faith to be a giant for Christ. Now, Mel continued his story of his dad because it wasn't too much longer. His dad... And uh, his, well, it wasn't his mum, uh, but his dad's first wife and their two kids were on a boat and they fired the boat up and there was a build-up of fuel on the boat and the boat exploded. Pastor Mel's dad and one of his brothers survived, but he lost Pastor Mel and one of their kids. And we don't have time to go into the rest of the story, but it's the most incredible miracle story how his dad and his brother survived. It's just insane. It should be in a movie. So Pastor Mel's dad then moved, came back to Australia and, and he, was, he was torn apart. And he met a lovely young lady uh, who's still alive, living in Kurramong, and it's Mel Lemke's mum. 
And it was from that Mel became born and also became, within the Adventist church, a giant for Christ. The Bible also tells us about an incredible young man. We don't know how old he was, but we know that he was picked for a purpose because the apostles, so after Jesus had come and he died and he'd gone back to heaven, the apostles, including Paul, were out there doing their ministry work and God had actually called them not to be the ones who would look after the orphans and the widows and the poor. But at this point in time, their hearts were that there were people who were disadvantaged in their communities. And the apostles realized they needed to stop preaching and look after this. And the Christian leaders said to them, guys, we need to find some people to look after the needs of our community so you guys can continue to evangelize and share the message of Jesus with the world. So they looked around and they picked what we call today deacons. It was when they went to pick the deacons that they actually came across a guy called Stephen. A guy called Stephen. If you actually, um, we'll we'll turn our Bibles in a minute to Acts uh, chapter 6. But when we actually look at the picture of Stephen, he was picked because of who he was. Now, last week I spoke about the idea that you need to find your identity, not in your job, not in, you know, your marriage status, whether you're married or single or at uni or working, whatever, or how big your bank, that actually doesn't create your identity. Your identity is found in that. Your Christian faith is going down the gurgler. Your identity can only be found in Jesus, and Stephen's identity was found in Jesus. We'll read about it in a minute. The fact that Stephen was chosen to be a deacon speaks about his public testimony as a man that was a believer that lived his faith openly. Stephen took the humble position of a deacon waiting on widows and used it as an opportunity to demonstrate the power of what God can do. But a deacon's role here wasn't just to do that. He became an incredible preacher a man who made a huge impact for Jesus. And I want to tell you, the Jewish community, the Roman community, did not appreciate it and didn't like it. Let me pick up Acts chapter 6. So grab your phones or your Bible if you brought it. Acts chapter 6, and we just read seven or eight verses about Stephen. This will actually give you a good picture of who he was. Now, When my father passed away a fair while ago now, my mum rang me and she said, "Um, Sean, what do you think we should put on the headstone? I'm like, oh, mercy. I don't know. Um, When we go to Kurumbong, I go down to the cemetery and I I go down and I check out Dad's little picture. Um, Mum picked it. Of course, he had to wear purple, poor fella. Um, It's got a few little words. It's got all our kids' names on it, which is really nice. But here, we actually get a glimpse of who Stephen stood for. This is a verse that in my Bible at home I underline and I've got in a bit of a circle. It says this, Acts 6 verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Here is Stephen. This is what he did. This is his job description. This is who he is. A man 
full of God's grace and power. And then it tells you what he did. When you allow yourself to be stretched, you can become a giant for Christ, just like Mel's dad. And we're going to pick up a little bit here, just like Stephen. Verse 9. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him, with Stephen. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicilia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, the teachers of the religious law, so they arrest Stephen and they bring him before the high council. The lying witness said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Verse 25, at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face glowed like an angel. Stephen was a giant for Christ. Was Stephen willing to die for his Jesus? 100%. because Stephen, we are about to discover, would be taken out and he would become the very first Christian martyr. You don't know what a martyr is, basically on their life for their faith. Stephen did that. He would be taken outside the city. A guy by the name of Paul, who became, or Saul at that stage, he became the Apostle Paul. He actually is holding on to the coats of those men who needed to take their coats off to throw the rocks harder. And as Paul watches on, Stephen is stoned to death. But Stephen, just like Jesus, I'm not saying Stephen's Jesus, but Jesus, sorry, but Stephen demonstrated the same witness as his saviour Jesus did. What did he do? As they were throwing the rocks, he was praying to God for the forgiveness of those men who threw the rocks. Stephen was an incredible giant for Christ. His faith, he allowed it to be stretched. He allowed himself to be put in harm's way, not for the sake of death, but for the sake of Jesus. As we're about to learn in the last story about Jerome and Huss, we fast forward to about 12th or 13th century. We move forward to a period of time where the Roman Catholic Church, and I'm not here to throw stones at the Roman Catholic Church, but I'm just telling you the history of it. The Roman Catholic Church in the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th century wasn't just powerful, it was incredibly powerful. Most governments, most countries were so interconnected between state and the Roman Catholic Church that it was impossible to differentiate between the two. The Roman mega wealthy, sometimes we're looking, you know, we throw rocks at other denominations and that's not our job. 
But I want to tell you, <laughs> if you want to check out the best real estate in the world, the best architecture in the world, and you go to Europe, just go and have a look at the Roman Catholic churches, the cathedrals. There was not just wealth, but an indulgence of wealth. An incredible amount of power, and the power that the Roman Catholic Church could actually demonstrate over its people was, was pretty fearsome. Because while they didn't need their own army, they had, they had the, I guess, the, the teamwork of the armies of all of those potential consequences. And during a 400-year period, we call it the Dark Ages, the time of the Reformation, where the Protestant faith begins, they estimate that somewhere between around about 300,000 people who were Christians, who were challenging this idea of what the Roman Catholic Church taught, there were about 300,000 people per year on average who are actually killed for their faith. Now, if we times that by a 400-year period, we're talking about the estimates that they work out in history is somewhere between, the lower estimate is 50 million people up to in excess of 120 million people actually gave up their life for their faith up to 120 million people. Now, some of those people, it's true, as countries became Protestant, they would actually go to war with some of the countries that were still Catholic. But there were many, 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 many millions of people who gave up their lives for their faith. More history, just because I'm interested in it. So if you're not, uh, just wait five minutes and we'll jump back into the sermon. But the reality is, when we actually look at Christianity, at the point of Christ, you have all of the apostles that go to the world. They call it the ecclesia, where they go to the world and they share about Jesus. And it goes out. Paul, in particular, uh, had many mission trips into Europe. And as people became more mobile, and the Roman, the Roman uh, government were the ones who built our roads, or initially built roads, then it went out, and Christianity went out with the flavour of the church at the time, the Christian church, which was the Roman church. Now, the other strand of Christianity that went off from the Roman Catholic is our Orthodox churches. And you can, if you go to some of you at the Eastern countries in Europe, they definitely have much more of an Eastern, um, I guess, a trend uh, certainly through Turkey, Russia, and a lot of those countries, that eastern type of... And then, in the dark ages, where human beings began to say, why is it? Why is it that the priest and the pope has so much power in my Christian walk? Shouldn't I be able to have a Bible to read on my own? I want to tell you, during the dark ages, no. If you were caught with a Bible, you'd become a martyr. If you were caught sharing the Bible, you could become a martyr because you were taking away from the power of the church at the time. And it sounds horrible, but I'm telling you, read history and that's the facts. And then came along giants for Christ. We think of Luther. We think of uh, people like Jerome and Huss. Now, Jerome and Huss were part of the Bohemian Revolution for Christ. These people started to 
and they were educated by opportunities to read the Bible. They were influenced by guys like Wycliffe. And as they were beginning to read the Bible, they started to say, Jesus is my interceder. Jesus can forgive my sins. Jesus can allow me to have a relationship with him. I don't need to go through a priest and I don't need to um, worship to some degree a pope or I don't even need to see Mary with the same sort of emphasis that the Roman church placed on her. I don't need to, when my son or child dies, need to actually go and pay money to the church so that my child could actually move from purgatory towards heaven. I don't need what God requires. These words are terrifying to the, to the Roman church. So they made it very clear that if you went against what they taught, then you would actually become an arch heretic. Let me tell you about Huss, John Huss. He wouldn't renounce his faith that his salvation was just found in Jesus alone. That he could actually intercede straight to God, didn't have to go through a priest. They brought him in and they said, will you change your ways? And Huff said, no, I can't. I've read the scriptures and the scriptures are clear. It's not muddied. My relationship's not built on another human being on planet Earth. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. For 12 months, he was imprisoned. At the end of the 12 months, they dressed him up in a, in a priestly robe. And they, they brought him before their council and they said, have you changed your ways? And he said, no, I can't. Jesus and Jesus alone. And they began to take off his priestly robe and his priestly attire. So he was in just his underwear. And... And it was made of paper, and they actually make this paper hat, and they'd actually drawn on it demons and all sorts of horrible things, and they put it on his head. And they said, will you renounce your faith in this, in this, this ideology of Jesus and get back to the real faith, brother? And he said, I can't. When I read the scripture, it's Jesus and Jesus alone that brings me salvation. They took him out. Um into a courtyard of a small town. You can actually go there today and it actually has a memorial to Jerome and Huss because they actually put him on a stake and they burnt him alive. And people who actually watched it said it was like they tried to light the fire and it kept going out. They had three or four goes before the thing would actually take hold. And as he died, he died singing hymns about his Jesus. Jerome, 12 months later, he also wouldn't renounce his faith in Jesus. He died on the same pole in the same way. When they said to Jerome, have you any last requests? He said, I don't want to see the flames behind me. I want to see them coming. Put those flames in front of me. And as he died, the people who testified and witnessed to what actually happened, he just martyred them. They actually share the words. Not once they yell out in pain, but they just sang about love for their Jesus. Now, for you and I, we may never need to be stretched to the point of Jerome and Huss. We may never have our faith stretched as much as Stephen, who prayed for the forgiveness of those throwing the rocks. 
We may never have the courage of someone like Pastor Mel's dad who went into an area that was really dangerous, full of cannibals. Friends, I want to tell you that the giants for Christ that inspire me are people that were willing to have their faith stretched. And in our Christian walk today, the most dangerous but the most important prayer that we can actually pray is that God stretch me. Stretch me today for you. Because when we pray that dangerous prayer, God stretches you. But it's in the stretching that we become that we become giants for Christ. We, like Job, hear the whisper of God's power. I invite our band to come forward and sing with us. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, and I thank Pastor Mel for actually inspiring today's sermon.